In our last episode of the Let's Get Real podcast, we talked about what the Bible was. And 66 books written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses recording for supernatural events by 40 different writers, 1,500-year time span, three different continents, three different languages, and many of those who wrote it were eyewitnesses to the direct revelation of God and His intervention. On this week's episode, I want to deal with why there are just 66 books and not the Apocrypha. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And thank you for coming back to the Let's Get Real podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg, and welcome back. I know last week we didn't have an episode just because we have some things that were going on with, well, things going on with our family. Good things, of course, but uh, we figured we'd just take some time. And, of course, we want to make sure that we give you the material. So what we do sometimes is we have to think it out a little bit to figure out how we're going to plan it and all. And uh, I want to thank you for, for listening. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. You know, we talked about the Bible uh, a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> I guess it was a couple weeks ago, my goodness. And we, we mentioned that the Bible was 66 books that were written by eyewitnesses. And these eyewitnesses were recording for a supernatural events that are in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies. And these writers claimed that their writings were divine rather than human in origin. Within a span of 1,500 years, you had 40 different writers, three different languages, three different continents, three different languages like Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. But sometimes what happens is we'll get questions with reference to, well, you know, what about all the other books? You know, one of the biggest things that has come up lately, and a lot of evangelical uh, prophecy uh, experts are looking at the book of Enoch, and that's because it is quoted in, in, the, in the book of Jude, or the Jude's letter towards the end of the New Testament. But the book of Enoch is, was considered good reading, and, of course, if you go and you read the kings, and you'll see at the end of some of the king's reigns, or where the books of the kings, first and second kings, mentions the rest of these, rest of the, 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 the acts of this particular king, are they not mentioned in the book of the Chronicles? So, you know, the Bible has the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, and of course not all in that order. But you get my gist. But what about the Apocrypha? You know, every so often I'll get somebody to ask about that. So what I want to do is I want to give you some preliminary information. And I think I mentioned this word last week, but let me just reiterate it for the most part that though this word canon, C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N-O-N, the C-A-N-N-O-N goes boom and, and fires a cannonball. The, the word C-A-N-N, C-A-N-N, 
Apple and Canon actually means standard and puts a monkey wrench in the liberals and those who reject the authenticity of the books of the Bible. So if you think that this is going to be a monkey wrench, good. I'm glad. Because I want you to, because I want you to think with me. And I want you to engage what I'm saying. And of course, I always invite you to email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. I'll have it in the description. But all we have, folks, are just 66 books. The Bible is not one book like I mentioned two weeks ago. It's a, a library of 66 books, Old and New Testament. 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. So what about the Apocrypha? Well, I let you know what the canon is, and because of the fact that we have the canon, the, the canon is actually what the early Christian church recognized with regards to the books that were inspired and those things that were not inspired. They were not decided at the Council of Nicaea in AD 300. They were not determined by Constantine at Constantinople. They were actually determined, inspired from their very inception. The early Christians or the early Christian church did not make them inspired. They were inspired by God, theonustos, meaning God breathed, when, when they were written. So, again, we talked about why we needed a standard and all, and I mentioned that. But let me just go back to Athanasius for just a moment. Because Athanasius, in his writings, in his festal letter of A.D. 367, there was a list of 27 books that were the exact same books in the current New Testament that we have. And of course, Justin Martyr, uh, around A.D. 150, in his first defense, also known as First Apology, confers that on the day called Sunday, there was a gathering together in one place by those who live in cities and or in the country and the memoirs of the apostles or the prophets were read as long as time permitted and when the reader had ceased the pastor or president as they were called a whole lot better than the president we get today that's for sure uh, the pastor or president presents a, a word of admonition or invitation to the imitation of the good things that were written by the apostles. And of course, this was all apostolic writing. So we can see that as early as Justin Martyr and the, as late as Athanasius, that the early Christian church had recognized a certain set of standard of books authoritative works ranging from what we know as the Old Testament works and the New Testament works. You know, some people will say, well, you know, you have the Old Testament and all. How do you know that the Old Testament was authoritative? Well, let me just tell you something. Jesus is recording and, and quoting the Old Testament. And if Jesus believed the Old Testament, you get the Old Testament along with the Gospel records as well as, well as the rest of the New Testament, the 27 books. So, folks, there were certain tests that, that books went through. And you go on and say, well, you know, Rob, uh, what tests did they go through? Well, let me tell you what those tests were, okay? First off, the question was whether or not the book had any authority at all, 
Okay. So the first word that you could write down here, if you take a notes on this, was authority. And the question that we have to ask, uh, you know, did the book itself that was under consideration come with a divine thus saith the Lord type of fervor to it? Secondly, was it prophetic? In other words, was it written by somebody who would be considered a man of God? Thirdly, you had the whole idea of authenticity, and we'll talk more about authenticity as we go, but the early church used a principle <clears throat> that is often common today. You know, if you're in doubt, then throw it out, and that's exactly what they did. And of course, it, there was also a, dy a dynamic appeal in that, did the work have a dynamic quality as to, by reading it? Was there a life transform? Was there evidence of life transforming power that was definitely by divine origin through the power of the Holy Spirit? In other words, the transforming power of God. And then, th and fifthly, was it received and collected and read and used? Was it used in the local congregations as far back as the early first century? Was it accepted by the people of God? You know, and uh, we talk about that in Second Peter chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen. So we can see that there are tests. Again, um, you have authority, prophetic power, authenticity, dynamic, and was it received and collected? So now we get to our question of what about the apocrypha? What about the apocrypha? Well. We looked at the tests, and we looked at the reasons for the need for the canon of Scripture. But what about these books that were between the Testaments of Old and New Testaments? What about the apocryphal books used by the Roman Catholic Church? You know, you might be thinking, you might be even Roman Catholic, you might be thinking this might be a big square horse pill for you, but just stick with me on this, okay? Why weren't they included? Well, one of my mentors, Josh McDowell, sources uh, Unger's Bible Dictionary and his new evidence that demands a verdict, and he gives several reasons to consider the non-canonical nature of apocryphal books. Now, remember, something as canonical means it is standard. Something that is non-canonical means that it wasn't accepted in the canon. So, looking at these reasons. Let's look at them. First off, the, the Apocrypha abounds, the books of the Apocrypha abound with historical and geographical inaccuracies and anachronisms. Secondly, they teach doctrines that are false and foster practices that are at variance with other inspired scripture passages. Thirdly, they resort to literary types and display artificiality of subject matter and styling out of keeping with Scripture, in a style that's not keeping with Scripture. And fourthly, they lack distinctive elements that give Scripture their divine character, such as the prophetic power and poetic and religious feelings. In their book, um, Talking about uh, when skeptics ask, Dr. Norman Geisler and William Nix sum up the case against non-canonical apocryphs by stating this. 
None of them enjoyed a more than temporary local recognition. Number two, most of them never did anything more than a semi-canonical status being appended to various manuscripts or mentioned in the table of contents. Number three, they say that no major canon or council of, of church council included them in the inspired books of the New Testament. Now, think of this for a minute. You had a lot of books trying to gain popularity, but none of the apocryphal books were ever included by the church councils to be inspired on, on par with the New Testament. Number four, the limited acceptance enjoyed by most books is attributable to the fact that they attach themselves to references to canonical books. For example, uh, Laodiceans connected itself to Colossians 4.16 because of their alleged apostolic authorship. For example, the, the Acts of Paul. Once these issues were clarified, though, there remained little doubt that these books were still non-canonical. Number five is you can see there are are plenty of reasons for accepting what we have between the leather and hardbound covers of our Bibles and why other sources can be safely thrown out as non-authoritative. So you see, the problem that you and I will run into will come from folks who will challenge the credibility of the Bible and its authority. But if you listen to this podcast over and over again, you'll be able to get the reasons why these books are non-canonical. And you'll be able to go and give an answer for why these books are not legit. If you use this criteria and, and all, you'll, um, you're not going to go wrong in giving a good response and putting what I call a stone in the shoe of the one asking the question. So if you do have any questions about the Bible, please feel free to ask about those because, you know, we have good reasons for being uh, Bible-believing Christians. You know, you know, the question then is, you know, how did we get them? How did we get just 66 books of the Bible? Well, you know, I, I, I talked to you about that last week, and you can go back and, and look at that again. But again, just remember authority, prophetic power, authenticity, dynamic power, and was it collected by the early church and the early church fathers? You can go on those reasons... And you can't go wrong. So let me ad answer another question here since I've got some time. You know, is the Bible really from God? You know, you, you might be thinking, well, you know, Rob, you've talked about the, the fact that the Apocrypha is not accepted. And in the last episode, you talked about the, the Bible and what it was. Well, how do we know that it's really from God? Well, this is a very relevant question. The question I, I, you might have to think is, you know, why is it so relevant? Because it was written over 2,000 
3,500 years ago, and the Bible remains relevant today as, as if it was like written recently. People from all times and all places give their lives to see the Bible translated in their own tongue. There are videos on YouTube where a, uh, uh, an unreached people group will be going and having a, a, a Bible translation group go and translate the Bible in their own language and even in their own milieu, if you will. And you see the videos and you see the people ripping open the crates and in tears because they believe that this is from God. So we have to ask you know, some questions here. Um, what does the Bible have to do with about claiming about itself? Uh, you know, a lot of religious books will use open thought phrases like, and it came to pass, the Book of Mormon does it. What's the difference between, say, the Bible and the Book of Mormon? Well, the, Bible, the Book of Mormon was written by Joseph Smith, who had no clue about what the Bible had to say and basically plagiarized the, the Book of Isaiah, as do, as do Muslims. And indeed, the Bible does the same thing in, in various parts of it. However, the biggest statement in the Bible that we can read are the words, God said, or, and the Lord said. And the, the phrase, God said, is roughly 1,900 times in the Bible. Thus says the Lord roughly about 500 times in the first five books known as the Pentateuch, which are... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and more than 1,200 times in the prophetic books and in dozens of places it calls itself the Word of God. The status applies to both Old and New Testaments. So let me also note here that the writer of the letter or the epistle to the Hebrews ranks the New Testament with the Old in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 and chapter 2 verse 3 and Peter identifies Paul's writings as scripture in 2 Peter 3 verse 16 which are internal pieces of evidence within the body of the biblical text. And the Bible clearly claims of divine origin just as on this line of evidence alone. But one piece of evidence that does not make a sound case, and there's that second line that will help my case, is, is what was Jesus' view of the Bible? You know, uh, Jesus had a very, very strong view, and you might be thinking, wait a minute, Rob, Jesus is just in the New Testament, right? Well, the answer to that question, as I alluded to earlier in this episode, was uh, yes, Jesus believed the Old Testament. So the answer to your question about, you know, what about you know, Jesus just being in the Old Testament. The answer to that question is yes and no. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is promised and prophesied in the Old Testament, and there are Christophanies in the Old Testament, but he's also referred to in the Old Testament. One thing that we can surely believe that if Jesus believed the Old Testament, you get both the New and Old Testaments as being the Word of God according to Jesus. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with Jesus. Jesus called the Old Testament the Word of God, Matthew chapter 15, verse 6, Mark chapter 7, verse 13, and John 10, 35, where he says that the scriptures themselves cannot be broken. 
He introduced the Old Testament quotes, it is written, which in the Greek text, it is gagraphatai, meaning it stands written, meaning past action of it being written with the present results of it still being authoritative. We talk about this in Matthew 4.4, 4.7, and even 4.10 during his temptation. And this phrase, it is written, was the standard Jewish introduction of Scripture. And in Matthew 22, verse 43, Jesus referred to David's words in Psalm 110, verse 1, as spoken by the Holy Spirit. Jesus also promised that the Holy Spirit sent by God would bring more truth, referring to the New Testament. And if the Bible is not from God, Jesus was either mistaken or he lied uh, uh, or in a position of the most which is a position that the most hardened skeptics hold. So let me give you a third line, and that is the fact of the Bible's unity. You know, the Bible is not a group of stories, fables, or myths. There is unity among the writers. Some of them were contemporaries of others, as I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago. And with regards to this unity, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that were recording historical events that were in direct fulfillment to specific prophecies, and they claim that their writings were divine rather than human in origin. This collection of 66 books was written by, as I mentioned, 40 different authors, from different times and cultures, and their various personalities and experience resulted in diverse writing styles, as well as distinct forms of writing styles, as well as distinct forms of literature like poetry, parables, epistles, history, and even direct theological discourse. But the singular theme that runs through every page of these writers' styluses was God's salvific plan for mankind. Such an unchanging focus, such as the diverse background, could result in only from a divine source. And let me now move to my final uh, point here, which I think will help this thing, this case, and that is the fact of the human author's self-perception and sacrifice. You see, Jesus was not the authoritative person to, who believed scriptures divine. Was not the only person uh, who believed scriptures divine origin. The prophets were convinced that they were speaking and writing God's word. You know, near the end of the Old Testament era, the prophet Zechariah mentions, and I quote from Zechariah seven twelve, the law. And the words of the Lord Almighty had sent by the Holy Spirit through the earlier prophets. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1 verse 21 that prophecy never had its origin from the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And many of the prophets suffered, and many of them died for their belief that they were speaking God's word, that they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus and that Jesus was God in human flesh. You know, those men who made that claim were the only ones who really knew and they accepted death rather than recant their faith. 
You know, frauds and the unconvinced don't willingly submit to torture and death. So with these four lines of evidence, I hope they can help you explain why this ancient library of books we call the Bible remains relevant today. And that it's been translated into thousands of languages and dialects. More than any other book in human history, and the Bible remains the most popular book in the world, and it was written by God through men moved by the Holy Spirit by God, and it shows people, when you read it, their lives are changed forever by learning from it, by applying it, and living daily in fellowship with the risen Jesus. Now, let me share something by, as I wrap this up. You know, my family and I, we are going through um, some Bible reading. And some of the reading that we are going through are a lot in the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, my wife and I, we really are, you know, we're seminary grads. And we're reading through the Bible. And every time, I promise you this, Every time, if you've gone and read through a book of the Bible and <laughs> you go back and read it again, you're going to find something new, something fresh every time. I find this as I read through the Kings. I've read through the Kings, the books of the Kings several times. And I go and I see the history of Israel in that all the way through. And as I read through it again, and I read through it again, I'm in 2 Kings, I'm digesting a little bit more than I, what I did the time before. That's the work of God. That's God's Word. And I want to let you know that if you just pick up your Bible and you read it, you too will be transformed. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. If you do have any questions, please email me at roblundberg315. I will be more than happy to answer whatever question you have with regards to this great subject about the Bible. You know, the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents. It's, it's not a book of fables or myths or fairy tales. It is the inerrant, totally sufficient Word of God. And I'm going to, my next podcast episode, I'm going to deal with the inerrancy issue and the authenticity of the issue, and I'm going to probably bend some noses um, with regards to when I start naming names of folks who think they hold to inerrancy that really do not hold to inerrancy. So... That'll be my next podcast episode, either this week or in, in, in another week or so after that. But I'm going to try and get back into some consistency here. So as you go out this week, please remember that if you have a Bible, you are holding God's Word. And again, if you do have any questions, please email me at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. So until next time. This is Rob Lundberg for the Let's Get Real podcast. Go out and make disciples. Fulfill the Great Commission. 
God doesn't call us just to do evangelism. He calls us to make disciples. And I've found that discipleship is moment by moment, mind to mind, heart to heart, word by word in today's post-truth culture. So as you do, go out and give them heaven. And we'll be back with you the next time on the Let's Get Real podcast. God bless you.